Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Come for Supper. I'm Alexandra Dudley, food writer, cook, and serial dinner party host. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down with people who share that love for food, chat about life, and learn a little bit more about how they like to serve supper. I speak to chefs, restaurateurs, artists, actors, authors, and pretty much anyone who likes to entertain. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you click subscribe. And if you enjoy it, rate it, review it, share it, and tell your friends, as it makes all the difference. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Come for Supper. I'm Alexandra Dudley, and I really love a dinner party. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down with people who I find interesting and inspiring and chat a little bit about their life, as well as learning a little bit more about how they like to serve supper. This evening, we have a bit of a special International Women's Day episode. Congrats to all my fellow females in the room for yesterday. Joining me tonight, I have an incredible chef, a restaurateur and a cookbook author. Her restaurant, Darjeeling Express, is a firm favourite, and her profile on the Netflix series Chef's Table captured the hearts of many. She's a bit of a powerhouse when it comes to speaking up about rights for all women, inspiring those within the industry and beyond. And last year, Business Insider duly named her number one in their 100 coolest people in food and drink. I am so, so thrilled to have her with us tonight. It's the wonderful Asma Khan. Thank you. <laughs> so, thank you. How are you and where have you come from this evening? Uh, from the restaurant. Uh, so I just saw the beginning of service and I left. So it feels like you're leaving your... No, everyone gasped when I was leaving. <laughs> I, I felt like, you know... I mean, it's like, you know, being truant and running away. I had to explain to almost every table that I was going because I had an appointment and I was going for some... I think everyone was very unimpressed. I left. But you'll be back. I've told everybody, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. They're all, no. <laughs> They're all waiting there. They got slack. Yeah. No slacking. So yesterday marked International Women's Day, a day where we celebrate women and the women who came before us. And I wanted to go back to the very beginning and the significance of being a woman born in India. You've talked about how in India, when a girl is born, there is no celebration and there are no fireworks. And often having a girl is seen as being a burden. What can, why is that? It's, it's to do with the fact that we are an agrarian society. And patriarchy is very much, you know, uh, the way, in, in rural India at least, it's very strong, you know, the male figure is, is very important. But also, because we're an agrarian society, there is an issue about land rights as well. Because, you know, boys inherit the family property, girls don't. And because of that, the fear of losing your asset, historically and culturally, you always felt safe once you had boys because of the way that, you know, children would die, 
uh, you know, and people were afraid that, you know, if I have only one son, what if something happens to him? And um, so both the Hindu, uh, you know, land, you know, the way that you inherit property among the Hindu families and the Muslim families, the boys have the rights to the family land that is tilled. So the agrarian land goes to the boy and that makes a girl, it's a double whammy because A, girls cost money, B, you have to protect their honor and make sure that they don't bring shame to the family. And then the third thing is their liability because you cannot give them assets. So for family, there's very little to celebrate. And that is why even though things have changed and people have moved to the city, but it's, in our, it's in almost in their DNA. And the lamenting starts from the matriarch. That is the hardest thing because the people who lament the birth of girls starts from the mother and the mother-in-law, usually the mother-in-law, um, about the liability that, oh, we've had a girl, the family's not complete, we'll complete the family next time. Never ever is a birth of a girl completes a family because that's not what we are. It's a shame. And you, I know you are second, sec what they call a second daughter, yeah. which you t you've, t you've talked about a lot, which is obviously something quite difficult to yeah. be, especially growing up. How did it feel growing up a second daughter when you were younger? It, I mean, surprisingly, you know, I, I never felt so much from my parents. I used to hear it from other people that, you know, oh, everybody cried when you were born. Gosh. And, you know, when I used to get into fights with, uh, with people, uh, I would hate losing in cricket. And then, I, you know, there was always arguments over cricket, chess. You, fr you argue over everything when you're kids. But every time the argument came down to the fact that, oh, no one really wanted you. And then I had nothing to say, so I would just leave because I lost. I lost the argument because it's very really hard to say no everyone celebrated because too many people unconnected to each other said the same thing to me that my birth was lamented. But I think that really the big turning point which I've never spoken about um, is that I forgave everyone who was bad to me when my brother was born because my mother never celebrated his birth. And I remember standing outside the door uh, of our house, standing there and people coming and neighbors saying, I've heard, I believe the baby was born. And they said, is it a girl? And I said, no, it's a boy. They said, no, no, it's a girl. Because there, there were no lights in our house. There was no celebration. My mother never gave out sweets, the traditional laddus, which you give out for boys. I mean, without, that's always the way thing. I think at that point I was, I was less than four, but I did realize this was something significant that he was not being celebrated, and that everybody thought there was a girl. That means being a girl is really bad, because they thought our house was in darkness and no one was celebrating. So this is why you know I do this as part of my foundation. It's a very trivial thing, you know. We, because you can't go into families and cause trouble. They'll kick you out of the village. You know, they'll make sure you don't go back in. I don't want to add to the burden and the grief of a mother who's just given birth to a girl. You know, there's no point going and interfering because, you know, you're dealing with deep-rooted patriarchal, you know, chains that have tied these women up. And they have, their response would not be positive. What we do is we celebrate. We give fireworks and the sweets, you know, the laddus. If no one had laddus, please go and buy one from Ambala. <laughs> they're, they're super sweet, but they're super nice. They're these round sweets that you give, you know. It is an auspicious thing that you give. And we just send five kgs, which is a lot. You know, no family can eat it on its own. So they are forced to celebrate by giving it to others. In this forced celebration, this girl whose birth we celebrated, when, they get, when she gets stones thrown at her, 
in a fight and people tell her that everyone you know, wept, she can turn around and say, no, everyone celebrated mm-hmm. because there is a celebration. It's something that I could not say. I want to make sure a second daughter can say that, no, you celebrated my birth. So it's something small, but you know, it, it is, I, I thought a lot of what could I do without you know, rattling the cages, without getting kicked out and not being allowed back into the village, uh, seen as a troublemaker, seen as a revolutionary, and the worst thing, seen as an outsider. You know, that is, those are the labels, you know, it's like being, mud being thrown at you. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah, you live abroad. You're just like, you know, the white people who come and interfere. All these things that they can say so easily to me, not understanding, you know, what my grief is and what I'm trying to do. So this way, by, by not upsetting anyone, you know, it's like someone turns up to your office and gives you cupcakes. You know, everyone's going to eat it, except the really saddos who are on, on diets. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's going yeah, to eat the cupcakes. So, you know, it, it seems harmless. But everybody will know yeah. we were not doing this. Neighbors will notice. They had a girl, but, you know, we got sweets. They don't need to know I paid for it. Yeah. So it's simple. You employ a kitchen totally run by women, women who I know you've worked with for a really long time. Yes. Some of the women in your kitchen for how many years now would you have? I've known them from, from the beginning. From yeah, from the, everybody from 2012 yeah. has worked with me, uh, who's in the kitchen right now. And some I've known for like 15, 20 years. That's amazing. Why do you choose to have a female-based kitchen? I could actually you know, say I, I chose to do it. It was deliberate. It was not. I needed to work with women who cook like me and who I needed to work with anyone who cooked like me. If I had found a man who cooked like me, I would have employed him. I never did because all the men who cook in restaurants in this country learned in culinary school mm-hmm. because of the patriarchy. You never see boys in the kitchen. The boys eat with the men. They are served by the girls and the women in the family because they're superior to, the, to their sisters. You f- don't find boys hanging around kitchens. This is why a lot of men in India don't know how to cook. They learn to cook as a, as a production line kitchen in a stainless steel you know, empire in some five-star hotel. They learn to cook in kitchens. And you know, I'm talking about 30 years ago. Now everyone wants to cook because they want to be on MasterChef. <laughs> so they want to be on TV, so people want to cook. So there's a difference now because of food TV and you know, there's some respectability because people wa- think this is a great way to become famous. Uh, you know, I'm talking about 30 years ago, you know, no, no men, the men don't cook. They don't get it. They don't get the intuition, the multitasking, the instincts, the flavors, and the rhythm of the way we cook. So I, I started working with people who understood the rhythm of the way we cook. We sing, you know, we sing a lot, and people are quite surprised, you know, towards like nine o'clock when like service is like death, we're dying. Uh, and People come to our thing and say, you guys are singing. As if like, you know, this is a great revelation. We said, yes, we're singing so we make it through. (laughs) So we make it through, but we're singing in a rhythm in which all of us are working. So we all sing. We all sing and we sing the beat that we've heard our grandmothers and mothers sing. It's a a joyous thing. Uh, And then you forget that, you know, it's so stressful and you've got like, you know, five tables are waiting for the chicken chop. You know, you sing and then it's it's okay. You make it. And there's not much shouting in your kitchen. Oh no no, no one shouts. No, no one, one shouts. It's, they're singing. It's so unnecessary to shout because mm-hmm. nothing will get done then. Mm-hmm. 
I, it, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't understand why people need to shout. Ego, I think, normally. No, I think I have a theory, which is that a lot of male chefs are all on the verge of being psychopaths because <laughs> they go... You've had a hair, guys. <laughs> yeah. No, because they go in when it's dark, they leave when it's dark, they yeah. work for 16 hours. This is seen as endurance and, you know, I only did three hours of sleep and, you know, are you guys crazy? This is not the way you live a life. Mm -hmm. No wonder you're ready to kill each other and instead of being able to communicate, it's lack of communication. They hit out because they can't explain. You know, the anger comes obviously because something's gone wrong. And believe me, lots of stuff goes wrong in the kitchen. But instead of, they hit out. But the worst thing is they touch without consent. And I'm not saying this just as a lawyer. Consent is very important. I consent to work in the kitchen and my body is pure and sacred to me. You don't touch it. You don't touch it, you don't throw things at it. Mm -hmm. So many women talk about things being thrown at them, you know, being hit physically, being pushed, uh, and being pushed into the, you know, the, the fridge and locked up, you know, because you can't get out of the fridge. Uh, you know, a walk-in fridge, there's no handle inside. You know, why would anyone want to do this? Unless you're a psychopath. But the thing is that really, I think a lot of the angry chefs need to go to therapy. They need therapy, they need to kind of work part-time. They feel threatened, I think, as well. I have no idea what the problem is, because I'm not a man, I can't figure out what's happened to their heads. But the point is that they are, there is a problem with this kind of work ethos. Yeah. It is destructive, it is unhelpful, and I think actually I'm really pained by what's happening to these men. Because they are scarred and they are damaged because of the, the way that this whole, the kind of perception of what it is to be a great chef, this tormented, turbulent person. You can be pretty normal. I'm quite normal. I cook pretty good food. <laughs> you know, I don't need to go around whacking people <laughs> because, you know, this doesn't make me anything. I don't need to be shouting on television for people to have seen my show. Why is it that you need to be abusive and aggressive and shame on all these, you know, media companies that carry these stories yeah. that give, you know, glorify. so much glorify men who are shouty. Because they, a lot of men are not. Mm -hmm. But these guys do disservice to their own people. I mean, of course, they frighten the hell out of all the women, but they are also bad for men because there are a lot of very good men who yeah, are chefs. Yeah, I was going to say, there are, it's not, not all men are bad No, guys. no. Just in case. I, I, call, I said psychopath, I meant few, not everybody. <laughs> so let's chat a little bit about entertaining. I know that you began by doing supper clubs. I love a supper club. Yeah. Much like a dinner party. In fact, a little bit different, maybe a little bit more high pressure. And I know that you enjoyed it. What did you enjoy about supper clubs, about having kind of strangers in your house? It was quite exciting to the anticipation. So around my own dining table and another table that kind of was a makeshift dining table, People would come and sit around and I would choose the music and I'd put on the candles and bring flowers. And it's this kind of, uh, you know, either you dread dinner parties, then you shouldn't do it, or you love them. I've always loved having parties. It's seeing these people eating my food. It wasn't the cooking so much. Sometimes I was a real pain, cooking so much and the stress of cooking in my own small kitchen. And, you know, sometimes things went wrong and you do it again. It was, all of those things happened. So it was not always a huge success, but by the time they came, everything was perfect. But this idea that they sit down and then I serve, it was the service. I loved serving. Mm -hmm. I served every person. And I looked at them in the eye, and that was the kind of really um, 
joyous thing. That's what I love the most about supper clubs. And you still do a lot of serving now. You're always kind of hustling and bustling around the restaurant. Yeah, I, sure everyone's yeah happy. and also, I mean, in my own supper clubs, the biryani supper clubs, I serve. It's important because I think that, you know, if someone has made a journey, no one lives next to my restaurant. They've come from somewhere. Yeah. And they've made a journey to eat in my restaurant. And now I know a lot of people wait for a while because it's not easy to get a table. It's the least I could do to honor them, to go and serve them, because they have come to eat. And they've come because they've heard a story. They've come because they want to also pay respect to this all-female kitchen. Uh, so everybody comes with a kind of idea of why. So of course, you know, randomly people turn up and say, oh, this place has got really nice Indian food. Who are you? And what? <laughs> this, you know, and you know, it's wonderful, but that happens less and less because they don't get a table. So, you know, you don't have just kind of random, you know, tourists turning up who are like, have, oh, we've got a table, we're going to sit down and eat. This used to happen in the early days, but not now. I think most people who come already know what yeah, the story they're coming, is. They're coming for the Yeah, experience. and so then, I mean, I would serve even the random, you know, tourists who turned up at my table, yeah. or people who've come, because I think it's really important. Uh, part of what, you know, why people like us cook, it is to feed and serve. Mm -hmm. It's not an ego trip. You know, it's not putting all these edible flowers and foam and fizz on a plate so that you're not sure whether you're supposed to eat it or you're supposed to decorate it or <laughs> hang it on your wall. You know, this is not what food is supposed to be. Food is about healing and comforting and honor and respect. Yeah. And as an immigrant, food also means lots of other things to me. Yeah. So and it is about who I am because I've always felt this very strongly, but now I say it, you know, you cannot have my food if you don't have me. So as an immigrant, you come into my restaurant, please understand, you, I want people to live with a greater understanding of people of the color of my skin, my accent and my faith. I want people to know who I am, where my roots are, you know, the South Asian culture and our tahzeeb, which is our manners and our tamiz, which is, you know, the way that we feed people, the hospitality of my people. I am representing generations of women who are in their graves. This is not just about me. I symbolize women who never had that moment of glory, of coming out and serving a stranger. I serve for them. So it is much more than just that I'm doing this because you know I was on Netflix and people have come to see me. I am the face of a movement where I want South Asian women especially to be recognized, the immigrant to be honored. Do not see me as those, the other, the marginalized, the ones that you push aside, the ones you fear and the ones you loathe because of what the media is saying. Mm -hmm. So for me, food is my little arrow that I will leave in your heart. You will never forget. And next time you sit in a tube next to a woman who looks like me, her coat may be smelling of masala. I don't want you to flinch. I want you to look that woman in the eye because I want you to remember a meal you had in my place. This is why it's so important for me to serve. I am not just doing this as a business. I'm doing this as I'm, I'm coming out to embrace you. But I want to leave that, that touch on you. I can only do that if I serve you. Yeah. It's about, I mean, food, I always say it's, it's, a, it's a form of language. It's yes. communication and it's, it's kind of all worldly understood. That's yeah. good it food. Is. It is. And, and I think that, you know, for most people, I don't think that because a lot of people cook without thinking this through, that the most expensive ingredient you put in a dish is your time. Mm. It's not the saffron and it's not the spice and it's not the expensive cut of meat you got. 
you will never get your time back. So what you're giving someone else is so precious. You must serve them. You must meet them. You must talk to people. And I don't think chefs do it enough. I know it's hard, you know. I mean, I have a great team, so, you know, I, I can go out mm -hmm. and, in fact, they're so happy when I'm out of the kitchen <laughs> because, you know, I'm otherwise bumping around and disrupting everybody. <laughs> and also, I keep eating everything that's around. <laughs> so I'm not the most popular person in the kitchen. The people are relieved when I'm out. You know, they're like, they'd rather have me on the other side. So you see a, lo a lot of me, I'm outside. Yeah. I'm outside because it's, they're, they're just much more happy if I'm outside. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's important and I, I love it. And the day I stop loving it, I'll close the restaurant. Mm -hmm. You need to do this because you dream of it. You walk in and you feel that your heart misses a beat. This is my place and we're gonna serve food soon. I feel that, you know, after two and a half years. Mm -hmm. The day I stop feeling that sense, I'll close. Do because you, I'm not gonna do it otherwise. Do you think that there's a, is there a dish that kind of defines the way that you entertain? If you had to pick one dish of everything that you cook, is there, is there one? thing that kind of defines that? I'm going to very predictably say the biryani because yeah. that is what, you know, and this, I know it's very unfortunate a lot of people get upset because I don't have it on the menu every day. Because, you know, the biryani, the least I can make is for 100 people. So unless everybody's going to eat biryani, there's You're no really point. Hungry. Yeah, so I have to do it in a special thing. The problem is that we are actually booked from now to April next year. Uh, so Next year? Yeah. Wow. So the thing is, it's hard to f find those dates mm -hmm. when we can close the restaurant to do the biryani. So we closed last year some dates, and this is why we have such few biryani dates. But we're going to be much smarter next year and book in a, close the dates in advance so people can't book. book it and you'll have more biryani dates because it's, I love cooking. I, it's a joy for me to why, cook biryani. Why, why the biryani? And it's a, the, the, is it the layering? It's the biryani because it is my entire childhood. It's, I've always associated biryani is something that is made in my culture when you have you know, lots of people in. Mm -hmm. you know, others, you know, I know people have big families, but you don't have 100 people in your family. <laughs> so it's only when other people have turned up from your own family. So it's a wedding, it's a celebration. So it combined with assorted cousins and exciting people who've turned up. The biryani also was there. So for me, I don't know what I, whether it was the joy of meeting my cousins again and people I loved. But then when there was always a downside, you met these horrible aunts as I look at you, you're so fat, you're so dark. All of those types also would turn up, but you just ignored them because there was the biryani to eat at night. Mm -hmm. So it was just, biryani is always associated with something joyful and lots of kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So it is, I love cooking that. It also symbolizes, you know, patience and faith, which is also a very important part of the thing. You need to believe that you can do it. Because the biryani, you can't check what's happening. Yeah, you know, I was going to say risk. It's interesting that you said faith, where I would have thought risk, because it's a completely different way of looking. Risk, I never see. No. <laughs> no. It's always about faith. You know you're going to get it right. Because I've, I never fear losing, and I never fear it won't work. Of course, there will be a day when it doesn't work out. I'll deal with that day when it comes. But I feel no fear. Because I know that if I feel fear, I will fail. So it is really about... This is going to be so incredible. I'm going to blow everybody away by it. Mm -hmm. I feel that every time I make biryani. And, I, and I'm the people who come and stand outside and watch me making biryani the whole day because they're just amazed to see, because I'm talking to no one. What they don't know is I'm singing in below because it's all the songs of the wedding songs and the songs the cooks would sing. I'm, I, I'm, if someone stops me and tells me, what have you done so far, I won't be able to say. I'm just cooking in a rhythm and a beat that 
is so old, has gone down generations. I just I'm singing and I'm cooking and I then the biryani is done. That's what I I it's I'd always good. Yeah. It's always <laughs> good. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have there been catastrophes? I mean, not biryani, not biryani. There have been, I mean, the recent one was just awful. I was very tired and I should not have been cooking. Uh, the gajar ka halwa we make takes like hours and hours to make. And the last bit, I tasted it and it was like, need a bit of sugar and I put salt. Oh no. I was heartbreaking. We've all done that. It's heartbreaking because it was like six hours of labor. Mm. And I just like, you know, and Asha, who's my head, you know, cook there, was saying, you know, it's just that salty. But I was had tears running down. Mm. I realized it's not that salty. I know I put salt in there. Every time we serve it, I will look to see, yeah. could that taste that touch of salt? Because it was a lot, but there was definitely a touch of salt. And then I just said, no, let's just throw it. Because if you don't, you'll feel proud, proud yeah. of what you're serving. So f the fact that someone, and uh, sadly it was not me who had done six hours of labor, it was someone else. And she was like, you know, let's throw it. So we all threw it and then we all sang and then we all cried and then we did it again. And it was not nice, but yeah. So You'll never do that again. No, and you know, and, and everyone was saying, you know, why did you have to come and do the last bit? <laughs> but I was like, you know, I know. I always do because I'm the one who does, finishes everything. I taste the last bit and I finish it. It's always been my job. But I've been demoted now. <laughs> no, no, so, away from the salt and the sugar. Yeah, no, no, no. so I don't do the last bits of the Just the taste. No one has forgiven me. I know that. <laughs> I know that. So before opening the Darjeeling Express, I know that you were you were practicing law. You you have a law degree. You have a PhD. Yeah. Just casually on the side, but you decided to change your path. And am I right in saying that at the time you didn't feel like you were the most confident cook? No, I wasn't the most confident cook, but I was even worse lawyer because I had no heart and soul in it and I would get no joy because I was doing a mini pupillage and I would go to court and then my you know client you know who I was helping the, the, the barrister with would win but I used to keep looking at the person who lost and feeling so bad it was horrible you know I thought this is like I'm getting no joy and for money I will not do anything in my life so the only thing that was going to be good was I was going to become very rich and that didn't excite me I've just felt depressed that, you know, whoever won in the court case that day, somebody lost. And I was just like, you know, this is like the worst thing to do, to be there, to, 
to watch someone else lose because you know there's always two sides to an argument i didn't i didn't feel happy and i wasn't going to do it and i didn't tell anybody i just pretended that i was going to become a lawyer but i i finished my phd and the day i got did my viva which is the oral exam i began my food business that night mm-hmm. i registered my food business wow and you went home i know to, you spent you went back to india to, to spend some time with your yeah. mother who did she run a catering business or am she i ran, she ran no, no, yeah. she ran a catering business my mother's a, an incredible cook an absolutely staggering cook i'm in awe watching her because you know the thing is that and she's not she doesn't talk at all in the kitchen which is really a nightmare because if you ask anything she won't reply she just ignores you you know like you know just work this one out she really doesn't talk to me at all uh and uh, it was anyone seen the netflix scene my sister and me my yeah. sister and i are chatting is my mother talking no, no. Yes. she's yeah. like you know and i was telling her we are being filmed you should talk she just gave me a stony look <laughs> she was not going to talk so i told everybody you know don't mic her up because she's not going to talk <laughs> you know because it's just a waste of time micing her up because she really will not speak she didn't speak she didn't speak. i told her please just say something nice <laughs> she was like no She was like no, she don't do this. You know, she's too cool to talk. Um and when in when it comes to cooking. So yeah, my mother had a catering business and she didn't teach me like she didn't talk to me. I just watched her mm-hmm. and I watched her many times. And yeah, so I by the time I came back after two summers, I'd learned everything. And I spent a lot of time in the kitchen hanging out as a child. So even though I didn't know how to cook, I knew the aromas, I knew the rhythms on in the kitchen. I remember the songs. So even when i wouldn't cook i used to sing the song mm-hmm. and then i knew this is the song you sing and this is what you cook so it was really nice that i could actually i cuz i knew the songs and i knew the beat in the kitchen and the rhythm in which people cooked you know i, I it was in me and i could cook but you would say would you say you were an adult when you really learned that skill? no no when i got married and came i could make zero i couldn't even make tea yeah which is amazing no i mean I, a lot of you know south asian of my generation you know in india everybody does tend yeah. to have servants and it's quite hard and people don't go out and into the kitchen our kitchen was outside so, you know you, it wasn't so unusual now i've see all my cousins you know but they don't cook indian food they all make these crazy things i know how to make ceviche and i do sushi <laughs> i think like you know i am bloody mad you're not going to live like this if you go away and you're not going to live on this but people want are now cooking because of watch they watch on tv yeah. so they make all kinds of crazy things Is every cousin cooking i mean i don't know no no i'm whatever and then imagine in in the heat of calcutta yeah. sure way to die <laughs> sure way to die because it's like and everybody you know all my little cousins and all all making brownies and doing uh, icing cookies and things like that it's a west yeah but it's a westernization yeah. which is bought this food and you know because they watch so much tv food tv uh, and they watch all these shows you know uh, just soap operas where all the little kids are doing this it's very sad but but they are not cooking the food that they will mm-hmm. but it's fine they'll get their ass kicked when they leave home and then they will pine for that dal and that roti and the paratha Maybe and they will weep and did. they will go back yeah. yeah so eventually they will right now they're making all this other faff yeah yeah <laughs> post degree they'll go back yeah, yeah i mean i think there is significance in the fact that as an adult you decided to completely do a kind of complete u-turn on what you were doing yeah. and i you know effectively we're kind of middle age which i mean in the greatest praise i yeah. think that we're kind of bombarded there's too much glory in kind of being a bright young thing it's all about 30 under 30 and yeah. everything you have to do before you have a family yeah. and yet you're kind of here pioneering confirmation that actually there is no limit no. and, and you can do anything it's a very good question because i think that you know um 
in in my culture, but I think it's also true in 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 every culture. When I'm 50 and I will be 51 in July this year, and we are seen as this is the autumn of your life, mm. and this I tell everybody is the spring of my life. I have learned to get up every time I fell. I've learned to lose and not cry. I've learned how to heal myself every time I failed. This is when I'm at my strongest. You know, I have life experience. I have the power to know I count. I have every insecurity of me I've set aside. And, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know how many of you in this room uh, know cricket, but, you know, in the second innings when you come out as, as a team, that's your last time to bat, but it's your last time to also win. For me, I will hit every ball out of the park because I'm not going to waste every moment that I get to play because when my time is over, I will never get a chance to play again. So the thing is that it's not just that, you know, people think that, oh, you're 50, you know, where do you get the energy from? I get the energy from because every day I wake up, I'm grateful I'm alive. That keeps me going. I have a fire inside me because I understand how my one day that goes is one day I will have less to make a difference. My aim is not about, you know, uh, you know, building Darjeeling Express to be something or that, you know, we have any kind of targets, money targets or people targets that we have to have hit the restaurant. No one cares. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just happy that, you know, we managed to feed everybody and everybody has gone home happy and uh, we, we brought joy to people. I have no targets of what I want to do. My target is really to leave enough of an impact, leave the ripples that long after I'm gone, people who think they are too old to start may remember my story. Because this is what it is. You know, I started in my late 40s. I am very successful. I had to stand in front of the mirror and say it. So I could say I'm very successful. It's good that you can say it. Not many yeah. people can no, say it. I can say it because I want someone, I want all the women in this room especially to hear it. And look at me and think, she's just like me. I will also be successful. You do not have, you cannot be what you cannot see. And the problem is that not many women, and those who say it, say it with a sneering arrogance, which of age and, you know, of beauty and youth, for which many of us cannot relate to. You know, I'm not the daughter of an industrialist or a Bollywood director. I'm, you know, yes, I came from a privileged family, but I have earned this. I have worked for it. I have bled and I have cried and I've got where I have because I was determined to succeed. Mm. With a team, I worked with it. So I think that, you know, women do not see enough people like me when I wanted to do this at 2012, I had nobody. Yeah. There was Nigella Lawson, you know, I might dream I look like her, I don't, <laughs> you know, and you know, so who would I look at? Yeah. Who could I relate to? But now everybody can look at someone like us. You don't want to do food, you can do whatever you want, but you know that you don't have to be part of that networked group. You can be the outsider. You can look like anything. You do not have to be the chosen one or the people who think are you know, the princesses of your family. You know, I am, was born a princess, highly overrated, believe me. <laughs> it's much better to be a warrior. See yourself as a warrior every time. That's when you will succeed. Do you feel a sense of kind of 
responsibility or, or, or maybe duty to kind of inspiring older women, but also young women and also just women with the same, I guess, cultural background that you've had that to, to, you know, because people, all eyes are on you now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see, I'm, you know, I'm very grateful. That's the big thing. I'm very grateful that I'm in this position. And I'm aware that I never had someone that looked remotely like me when I was struggling. In my hard nights when I failed, when doors were closed to me, when I sensed this othering of me, for whatever reason, I didn't have a voice that spoke for me. I am the voice of the voiceless because I need women to understand and understand that if I'm speaking out, this is not so difficult. They can also call out racists. They can call out the misogynists. Don't leave people on social media who make you know, ignorant comments about women. Stand up for other people. And it doesn't have to be that you need to go and take on, you know, you know, the, I, I was just going to name someone and get sued in the process. <laughs> no, uh, you don't need to take on, you know, the kind of really obnoxious people that there are mm-hmm. on social media. It doesn't matter. Start with your workplace. Start with your own family. Start with on the tube. Stand up for people who you know are being picked on, who are being othered. And then when you do it and you defend someone, I can guarantee to you that sense of freedom that you get when you walk out, you know you lived that day the right way. It's so important to stand up for others. Yes, I'm doing this in like kind of much uh, in, in, in publicity, you know, on media, you know, in newspapers. You don't have to do it that way. For years I did it un- hidden. I practiced. I learned how to stand up for the weak. I learned not to allow anyone. I always called out the racist. I always stood by the weak. And this gave me my power. I am powerful today, not because of what I am. I am powerful because I broke the chains of other people. I stood out for them. I've written articles against, you know, idiotic male chefs who've been making derogatory comments about females and women who are pregnant. And I hoped and prayed that he would sue me. I would have cleaned the floor with him, but he didn't. <laughs> I, I was like, you know, I mean, they, they kept saying, you think he might sue you? I said, oh God, I hope he does. Because, you know, I haven't been, I haven't said anything derogatory about him. I've just said yeah. what an imbecile he is. And, you know, and yeah, he didn't. But, you know, I might get sued at some point. <laughs> but it's just, it, it's, it's important. You know, and I do have a sense of duty. I don't try and, you know, let it overwhelm me because, you know, then it would be quite hard. If as I'm not obsessed about it, but I, f- I feel a duty and I feel pride when I see other women succeeding. I, s- I feel such joy because, you know, we are not in a race and I, every hurdle I hit, I remove for someone else coming behind me. I feel, I feel that, that I remove the hurdle that the girls and the women who are going to come behind me won't even see that hurdle because I've cleared it. I've removed it. And the fact that it hurt me, the pain goes away knowing that other woman is on her head. So now, you know, a, a female can go to a landlord like Shaspuri, who has my thing, and say, you know, you, did, you gave the lease to Asma. She doesn't have, didn't even have a credit card. Everyone knows that. I had no credit. Ba- but you have a, a person you can show. That's why I want the lease, because, you know, I want to shop, I want to sell whatever. You know, women didn't get lease. You couldn't get a lease mm-hmm. in a place like Soho. But I think if any female now wants to open a restaurant, irrespective of the cuisine, her ethnicity or anything, they will, c- they will listen to her 
because I existed. Mm. But when I want to do it, no one was there. So I want to make sure that I don't mess up and that I succeed so that other women can use me as an example. Let them climb on my shoulders and let them fly because that's what I want. Are there particular women who inspire you doing things at the moment? At the moment, I think that I'm, it is really women who are working, uh, unnamed, yeah. unseen women who are working with refugees yeah. in very, very tough places. I'm in awe of them because I've been working, I've been going to a lot of refugee camps and seeing the kind of hopelessness and the absolutely deprivation in which they are having to work, the fact that they are trying to give hope to people who have lost everything is remarkable. And I'm very inspired by volunteers, you know, doctors who go out to look after people in very, who often are not, are so traumatized that they don't even thank you. But to go out there and to go out to help those in need silently and, you know, just putting in your effort. These are the women I've, I've seen and worked with a lot of them. I think that's my greatest inspiration mm -hmm. now because I see that, you know, they are, it feels like you're not making a difference. See, for me, I cook a meal and, you know, at the end of it, you know, people come and say thank you. This is a huge privilege. And there are people who are working with really dispossessed people where sometimes they don't feel that there's, they've made a difference, mm -hmm. yet they come back the next day and they're there again. So these are the people who really inspire me. Mm -hmm. I read also, it might not, you might not do it anymore, but that on some days you will open up your kitchen yeah. to any, any female, any female chefs who are trying to kind of get whatever they're doing yeah. off the ground. Do you, do you still do that? Yeah, I have one person right at the back. Oh, yeah? Mira, who, who did, before she opened okay. her, her, her cafe, uh, did some trials in my, uh, in, so she, now she has a cafe, she's my yeah, neighbor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do it. And I think that it's, you know, if I don't do it, who will? And I don't, you know, I, it's fine. I've pay, I, I don't want the money. You know, they have the space for free. And they can actually, you know, like when we were small, you know, you play house and you play shop, you know, you have your little plastic, you know, yeah. till. It's, I let them do that in a real restaurant. You play restaurant, restaurant in my restaurant. <laughs> but you leave feeling, well, it's not so difficult. I can do this. It's not that, you know, hard. And it gives you that confidence. And you can see these people who've come to eat your food. They'll say nice things about your food. And of course, you know, for a lot of people, I, I, I'm often the waitress. I will serve. I send in some of my own people to help. So we are there as a kind of backbone to make that person succeed. Because the point is not to make that person sink, to make that person leave feeling, you know, I want to do a food business. So we've had Syrian refugees from my Sunday uh, supper club people, mm -hmm. three people have gone on to open restaurants. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. Uh, because I think that you know, you, you need to be able to feel confident. And just to have that success of running an entire service, helped along by you know, people you know, who know what to do, who know the space. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a nice thing and it's a, you know, I think, more restaurants should do it. I have no yeah, idea. idea. I have no idea why they don't do it, why they can't help out, and why they can't actually mentor the next generation of restauranters. So that, you know, teach them all the things you've learned, how hard it can be, because it's nothing. It doesn't cost me anything. I'm already having to pay the rent. So 
I don't, you know, I, if I see someone, you know, and also it allows me to bring in, you know, women whose cuisines you don't, you know, you do, so African and, um, you know, Malaysian, there's huge variety of Singaporean. East Asian food is fascinating. There's huge variety. And so we have, you know, we had like, last year we had like four Chinese New Year's. And, uh, and it is, and you know, and more so now, when I think it's so important that because of what the Chinese community is going through, you know, so we have we have an event uh, that coming Sunday, a Chinese um, uh, supper club in my restaurant because I went out and told her do it because, you know, it's so, you know, it bothers me. It bothers me when people are racist. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, what can I do? Because it upsets me so much uh, the way they're being treated. So I said, fine, you do a supper club in my restaurant on a Sunday. And they're coming in and they're going to do a Chinese meal to celebrate friendship, to celebrate what it's to be human, to celebrate through food. Because I think all of us have lost perspective in this current situation, uh, how you can hate someone because of how they look. And they're innocent. Uh, it is beyond belief. So yeah, I mean, I am very political. I mean, I don't know why I'm even saying it. Most people would know that. Uh, <laughs> I use my restaurant space and I use my platform to stand up for those who I think are not being treated well. And that's what I do. Bringing it back to the table before we finish. Yeah. What three ingredients do you always have at home to put together a kind of quick, I would say dinner party dish, but you know, and just, just kind of entertaining home cooking. It would be dried red chilies. Dried red chilies. Dried red chilies, cumin, and I think garlic. So that those three combinations in everything mm -hmm. transforms it. So even if you have nothing else, rice. You know, yeah, cumin, yeah. Garlic. Yeah. Chili. Yeah, and then it would be that's it. So this, these are my magical ingredients. Delicious. And if you could have three people, anyone in the world, they can be alive, they can be dead, anybody to your ultimate dinner party, dinner table, who would you have and why? Prince. Prince, good one. Great yeah, singing. Yeah, great I also, singing. I mean, I give away my age, you know. Prince is the kind of soundtrack of my youth. And in India, you know, it was, we had to, all the, all the music came in, you know, smuggled, and you bought them on tapes, and it was, so yes, Prince, because Prince, I associate with my childhood and my family. And then the other, I think it would be Rumi. I'm mm -hmm. very into Sufism and, yeah. and poetry. And I would have all the poems that I have not understood over that dinner, I would have asked him yeah. to explain to me in easy language, uh, you know, what are the kind of the bits, the depths that I'm missing in the words that he uses. Like this whole thing, Rumi uses a word which is nothingness. It can mean anything, you know. He says, I am nothingness, I am nothing. You know, and that I think is so powerful. I would want to know really where that was going, that whole conversation. And I think the third would be, you know, a warrior female. Yeah. Uh, her name is Razia Sultan. Uh, most people don't, you know, know her outside India, but she was picked by her father because she was more competent than brothers. I love that, <laughs> that she was picked over, you know, male legitimate heirs because she was so good. In the end, of course, she was defeated and she died in the battle fighting like a warrior. I would, would like to tell her my story. So it wasn't that I would want to hear anything from her, but I'd want to tell her that she inspired me, that I've, I, I think that I was picked by my father who, and my mother who loved me possibly more than my other brothers and sisters 
and they made me feel I was the warrior. So if I had been born, you know, 200 years ago, my f I probably would have led my family uh, as a warrior because I've, I was always raised to be that person who would fight for injustice. And I think that, you know, and so was she. And I would, I would have loved to have fed her. Mm. I think you are undoubtedly a warrior and I think it'd be a great dinner table. Thank you so much for that. It was so fantastic to listen to you and I hope that everybody enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you liked it, rate it, review it, talk about it, share it, and invite your friends around for supper. This has been a Studio 71 production. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.